We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, the fans might be sober, but this World Cup is drunk as hell. This is the Arsenal Vision World Cup Daily. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. If you're in the stands, you may be stone cold sober, but the World Cup itself has had a few too many, and it is ready to go home with somebody at 3 a.m. They've turned the lights on, and they, uh, they, are, they are staggering around this World Cup. Let me tell you, I think it is only appropriate that Spain... Uh, delivered the schadenfreude blow of the month to the people that invented schadenfreude, Germany. We're going to get to that. We're going to get to all the um, inebriation of the World Cup today. Belgium crashing out, Germany crashing out, Italy didn't even get the chance to crash out. They're just not there. So they can laugh at everybody else who's going to be coming home to join them to watch the knockout round. And here to discuss all the madness with me is the madman himself, Phil Costa. You can find him on Twitter at underscore Phil Costa. Hello, Phil Costa. Hello, madness indeed. When are TV companies going to learn to keep a running live table in the corner? That's my question, because the amount of times I opened and closed the tab, um, it's not healthy for my laptop. So I've taken notes. Do I even need notes? It's just like two days in a row. I'm like, what, what's happening here? Well, What is going on? I did learn something from listening to you and Tim do the World Cup Daily yesterday, which is that when you are on with someone who has also watched the games, my goodness, the content just elevates. Um, I don't know that watching the games is super important because literally you could have just had the ticker of the scores up in a browser and you would have gotten the sense of the madness. We will get to, should we call him Romelu Lukaku anymore in a little while? I don't know what, what Romelu Miskaku. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how you want to refer to that guy going forward, but let's, Let's get to the uh, Group E results first and foremost. And at one point, even the commentators of the Japan-Spain game were unaware that Spain were through when Germany scored uh, to take the lead for a second time in the match. It ends Japan 2, Spain 1, Germany 4, Costa Rica 2. How we got there is an absolute roller coaster. And what it actually means is really absurd because Japan winds up topping this group and the outcome is that they get a date with Morocco <laughs> as a result of it. Uh, par- pardon me, with, with Croatia. Yeah, and, yeah, they get Croatia. And, yeah. and Spain winds up getting Morocco. Now, I'm not suggesting that's going to be an easy match, but it might have been what they wanted. And based on the way the last few minutes of the game played out, it wouldn't surprise me if it was what they wanted. Now, I don't know if they knew they were through at the end there, so that would be something that we'd have to find out from post-match interviews. But... I don't know if you want to go through this minute by minute or how you want to do it, but Phil, let's start with the games kick off and pretty quickly Spain's got a lead. Germany's got a lead. And you're like, this is done. These teams are controlling the ball. They're controlling possession. The other teams have very little offer. We're 10 minutes in and it's like, yep, Spain topped the group. Germany going through is how it felt at that point. I mean, absolutely. It was very, you know, I mean, Spain in particular were were just dominant. You know, they were just passing the ball around, very comfortable. 
pass, 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 pass. They lost it. Oh, they won it back in five seconds and the cycle just repeated itself. You know, there was no... Kind they made 1,058 kind of... passes in this game, 83% <laughs> just, possession. <laughs> you know, there was no ambition for Japan to come. And to be fair, when the scores like that, they didn't need to. Um, mm. The worst thing would have been for them to maybe come out and risk some things and then get caught. So I think ultimately it was expected um that kind of half although i did think japan were a little bit wasteful but spain didn't create too much apart from the goal i mean it was literally um death by a thousand passes um but yeah i mean it was a classic spain goal and, and one that chelsea fans would have seen a, a few times as well you know as pillar in the half right uh, right half space straight into the head of alvaro morata and i thought right that's it you know it, it was one game too far for japan and their manager had done the same thing again by leaving all of the the quick technical attacking players on the bench and but he had the last laugh incredible incredible really takuma sano not starting takihiro tomiyasu not starting although likely because of not being fit enough to start although who knows um endo not starting mitoma not starting Min- minamino actually didn't come on in this game but mm-hmm. all those other ones did so then the unthinkable starts to transpire and, you know, I, I mentioned the 83% possession for Spain. It wasn't far off that at times for Germany. They wound up with 68% possession, 712 passes. This is a real stat. Germany took 32 shots. <laughs> 32 shots. I mean, only the, I mean, the, the kind, to put in perspective how good you have to be to take 32 shots, how dominant you have to be to take 32 shots, the only kind of team that could take 32 shots is Watford against Arsenal when Arsenal were managed by Unai Emery. I'm sorry, I had to get in there. I, get in there. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. But yeah, 32 shots. They do wind up getting the four goals. But so putting it into the chronology of how this breaks down, um, just astonishing scenes as, I, I guess, I don't know how astonishing it is because we don't know how much money Neuer had on Costa Rica. So we'd have to investigate that to find out. But Manuel Neuer, a, a man possessed, decided this this group wasn't dramatic enough. He's going to throw some goals in his net and make it dramatic. How stunned were you by the the turnaround as um, Costa Rica first equalize in the 58th minute and then just an an astonishing own goal in in the 70th minute from, from Manuel Neuer? I mean... The- they should have equalized in the first half, but it was an excellent save actually from Manuel Neuer to, to keep yes, the scores the tip level. Over from Rudiger, yeah. who who cannot help himself but have some comical moment befall him in every match. I mean, we'll we'll speak about them, but I think Germany defensively were a, um, a disaster waiting to happen all tournament. But like you said, they they got the equalizer, and in one way, it's a mistake. I mean, the goalkeeping is very poor, but. At the other end, you have to praise Costa Rica for getting bodies into the box because, let's be honest, it's not something we'd seen from them much at all mm. um, in this tournament. And then that their second goal, the goal to go ahead, was just a freak set piece. And then Neuer came out and it bounced off. I mean, I don't even know who got credited with the goal in the end. Who was it? The Costa Rica player, or was it was it an it, own it's goal? Listed or? as a Neuer own goal, and the the second one is yeah. Okay, yeah, it was just like a freak bounce. And and the way Costa Rica celebrated, I thought, is, is this going to be allowed? Because they didn't really celebrate properly for a few seconds. And it was just, it was mad. And then, then you look at the table and you think, oh my word, oh my word, oh my word, Spain and Germany are both going out <laughs> with, with Japan and Costa Rica both going through. Astonishing, um, yeah. You know, that wasn't a very um, fun 75 seconds for me as I was in close distance of my my girlfriend and she did punch my arms, uh, I think, about 37 times, <laughs> my Spanish I mean, girlfriend. So I, I don't want to get involved, but that may be something you're going to want to look into. The, the, the crazy thing is the, the Spain... The Spain game had actually turned before the Germany game did. So then the whole group swung from like oh, it's over, Spain and Germany are going through to it, swinging again to being like, well, wait, now who's going through? And there was this weird moment because then shortly after Costa Rica equalized, Germany equalized again. There was this weird moment where I was like, wait, could Spain go out? 
Um, as far as the Japan goals, the the one that's really crazy is the one that goes to the, the byline mm. and gets cut back. And I mean, is that just a case of wanting legitimately, like, I know it's such a cliche, but wanting it more. Spain switch off, the Japanese players don't, and and they get their just desserts. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they came out in the second half and it, I'm not sure what happened. It was the... They were passing the ball around the back, you know, as they normally do, but it was really slow and Rodri was dallying and then Unai Simon was dallying. And I mean, to be fair, Unai Simon looked shaky on the ball all night. Um, Is there, there were a couple any of occasions. possibility Spain had it in the back of their mind that like, Finishing second in the group is not so bad, or is that just too much of a razor's well, edge? No, to I mean you, you, get you in can't real quick. That yeah, way. surely you can't. You know, what about um, by the end when they were not exactly pushing hard? To I, it didn't look to me like they were desperate for the. I for don't the think goal. they were pushing hard, but they were they were still pushing. Um, yeah. And actually, Ferran Torres was millimeters away from from sending you know Japan out. So you know it was. I don't think it's as simple as that, but but like you said, it was. They just looked a, a completely different team when they came out in the second half, and obviously the goal, the first goal, is a, is a mistake. First of all, from Unai Simon, um, a bad bad bond. He he has two hands on the ball there, and it just goes straight through him. Um, but the the mistake is is the control from Balde, who I thought struggled the whole night. Really, um, he looked kind of out of place a bit but I understand that he was a very late call up to the side. And then, you know, from that moment on, Japan were just like reinvigorated. They were chasing every ball. They were, you know, slamming into tackles. They were pushing two, three, four, five men forward on the break. And it's just, it was the complete opposite from what we'd seen in the first half. And maybe that, maybe that was the plan. I mean, maybe we're not, we're not giving Moriyasu enough credit here for, for his, you know, for his thinking, because ultimately we've seen the same thing happen for three games now. You know, he starts off with a slightly more defensive team. They're not so adventurous. And then in the second half, they bring on the all the good players and they go for it. You know, maybe that's mm. a pointed effort from him. And, you know, ultimately to top the group, having beaten Spain and Germany while losing to Costa Rica, who had one <laughs> shot on target. It's just like, it doesn't make sense. No. It doesn't make any sense. Shouldn't but they've done it and it's, and it's an incredible achievement. I, to be fair... Those last 30 minutes, they were faultless in defense, genuinely faultless. The line was excellent, you know, heading everything. Yoshida, monstrous. Tomiyasu was unbelievable when he came on. I mean, he had mm-hmm. <laughs> Ansu Fati didn't even get a kick. Yeah. Tomiyasu just, you know, oh, incredible. He's such a Big good dog defender. Dim. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, that's like prime Tomiyasu there in a, in a deep block. Mm-hmm. If you're going to want to get past me, try me really. He, he, it was just incredible. And, you know, like you said, maybe Spain were not pushing with the most incredible intensity, but the one that had me wondering, Phil was when Danny Almo takes the shot from outside of the box. Like, yeah, the little P roller. <laughs> <laughs> that one had me thinking, maybe they oh, know 30 they seconds left. Oh, I'm going to scuff this one wide. Um, yeah. But, you know, Japan were just incredibly kind of Jekyll and Hyde or Harvey Dent, you know, the two sides. Um, and Spain, you know, even though they went through, I'm sure Luis Enrique will be absolutely furious with his players today because that can't happen again. Yeah, I mean, the the sad thing is, look, Germany in, Germany out, it's kind of funny, whatever. I don't really have the rivalry with Germany. I actually don't mind them. And like they, they will leave this tournament having taken by far the most shots of any team. I think playing some of the most entertaining football because they're so exposed at the back and ropey and questionable at the back. And they really do attack in numbers. The game they played against Spain was an exceptional game of football. I would have loved to have seen them play another game like that against top opposition. I think, you know, to draw Spain in a high level game and and ultimately maybe as silly as it got there, routing Costa Rica. I mean, well, good value for their 4-2 win, ultimately. I do think it is a bit of a shame that we lose Germany, but if we lose Germany at Japan's expense, who can who can complain? Because Japan have been excellent. They're a great story. It's fun to see them go through. Um, you know, it, it's always tough because when you celebrate someone going through, you're celebrating someone getting knocked out, and I realize we'll probably have listeners who are like, why do you hate my country? Um, but, like, your thoughts on Germany crashing out? Because I think... The previous World Cup where they went out early was just a disgraceful performance start to finish. I think this is a little different, Phil. Like, all right, 
they concede two goals in the second half against Japan to lose in a game that they weren't great, but they were really good against Spain. They were more than enough against Costa Rica today, even if they did let them comically back into it. I don't, this I see more as a little bit, I hate to say luck, but a little bit unfortunate versus like the last time where they were just dreadful. Yeah, for sure. I think they, they suffered from a lack of, what's the word, maybe quality at both ends. I mean, defensively, they didn't convince me throughout the entire tournament. I thought, you know, they they tried a, th- a three at the back. They put Zula right back at times. You know, Nico Schlotterbeck came in a couple of times and really struggled. David Raum, you know, an excellent attacking fullback, but defensively he's he's got nothing about him. So they were kind of chopping, changing, mixing, matching all the time. And they just never seemed to settle, you know. And I think ultimately that cost them because some of the goals they conceded particularly the ones against Japan were just entirely avoidable. Um, and then you look at the other end, obviously they had Nicholas Fulkrug who, you know, scored twice at the end. So he'll be happy with his own individual performance, but I just don't think they, they clicked or they found, you know, their preferred option. Should we say one, one game it was Hazard, uh, Havertz as the false nine, then it was Fulkrug and then they went with Thomas Muller. So they never, had any consistency there. And I just think there was just too much chopping and changing for me. And and even though it's tournament football where there's only a few days to prepare, I don't think they they managed to find any cohesion. And it's a shame because, I mean, Musiala again today hit the post twice. I don't know how he hasn't scored in this tournament. He was on a, a one-man mission to... He's been phenomenal. To, to try and get Germany back into it. And he was their, their standout player by a million, million miles. I mean, obviously Havertz scored, scored twice when he came off the bench. So that will give him some confidence, but Musiala was just head and shoulders above any other German player. Um, can, can absolutely see him getting a move to a big club in January. <laughs> well, <laughs> should have signed for a big club. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, but I, for all the talent you need, you need to put it in a system that gets the best out of everybody. And I never felt Hansi Flick had a clear image or a clear idea of what he wanted his team to be. And that's not easy, right? I'm not, I'm not putting any, you know, anything on him as, as, as a, as a failure. I just think teams have had so little to prepare. Um, and he tried to find it, you know, we saw it, there was a few formations, few options, few styles and, Ultimately, I think it was just a lack of quality at both ends that that just left them short. Well, and this is also where the the fixtures, the way they play out, can really disadvantage you in a way because they handily beat Costa Rica. I, I realize they got there in in hectic, scary, mm-hmm. ridiculous fashion, but they handily beat them. They played a brilliant game against Spain that they were every much a part, every bit a part of, and equal to, and and depending on whose glasses you're putting on, you could say they deserved it, Spain deserved it, but really well, high-level match. The Japan game was the first game, and that's the one where it felt like they weren't really sure who they wanted to be, where they wanted, you know, who they wanted playing what position. Didn't get everything quite right. They still take a lead in that game. And they concede two goals to a good Japan team that tops the group. And, like, I think if the fixtures come in a different order, and let's say it's Spain playing Japan in the first game and Germany playing Costa Rica, Germany probably finds a way past, tweaks a little bit, plays that great game against Spain, and is in much better position to know who they are to going up against Japan in the final game. I, it, it is it is hard when the tournament is three games and you're out if it doesn't all go right for you um, to, to be objective in your analysis. But so Germany are out. Spain, I mean, first of all, let's just, let's just give Japan their flowers, right? Like, what a great story. Their fans look elated, obviously. Um, I think they're a fun team to have in the tournament. I'm happy for Tomiyasu, obviously a guy who... We need to be careful with his fitness, but he doesn't play whole games. So maybe keeping him sharp, but not playing too much isn't the end of the world. Um, really happy for them. And I'm wondering your thoughts on what they could accomplish. I mean, they get the harder task now going up against Croatia, which will be a fascinating battle in Spain. Gets still hard, but the easier probably are the two tasks going up against Morocco. But with questions about them now as a team that can control possession, but that, can they create the opening? Yeah, I think this was a very off night. Well, off second half, should we say, for Spain. And I think it was interesting that we saw them in a difficult moment because against against Germany, they went ahead. In Costa Rica, they cruised against Costa Rica, they cruised through. So I thought tonight was the first time we'd seen them under real pressure and, and under stress. Um, but for me, the, the, the big question 
is that let's say Spain and Germany both got through tonight. Who are you more confident in in bounce you know in bouncing back in the next in the next game? In terms of Spain, I feel I know their eleven, I know their style, I know what they're trying to do. You know, I could I could attribute this to a one off. Whereas if Germany got through, there would still be questions for me at right back, at centre forward. You know, even even in midfield because they switched Gundogan, Kimmich today, Goretzka. I just felt that Germany have too many unanswered questions. Whereas Spain, look, it's a it's a horrible second half. It's it's an embarrassing result. Um, ultimately, they've they've got a good draw with Morocco, or they'll feel they'll feel like they've got a good draw with Morocco. And I'm sure about their principles and what they're trying to do. So, you know, whether it's Morata up front or or they go with the false nine, for me, that's the only kind of question mark I have over Spain. And in the 45 minutes prior, you know, they they just looked completely at ease, in control. They were their pressing was was excellent again. I mean, the way they swarm the ball is incredible. Literally, Japan were making tackles. Then all of a sudden, Gavi, Busquets, Pedri, Nico Williams will be there in seconds, really mm-hmm. in seconds. Um, and against most teams, that will that will work, you know. And I, I just think this tonight was a blip. You know, they'll they're still probably one of the strongest, if not the strongest team I think I've seen at the tournament. Still, although I'm very prepared to eat my words on that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I I just. I think the point where this was 1-0 Spain and 1-0 Germany and looking at how these games finished, 4-2 to Germany and 2-1 totally. to Japan, is is just stunning. Um, and because especially given that at the time that it was 1-0, the other teams couldn't get their foot on the ball. They just couldn't even get their foot on the ball. Like You couldn't have explained to me how we got where we got if I hadn't been watching it. Um a really fun time and and definitely fun listening to the announcers like have no idea because the announcers uh, probably we have different announcers obviously but the commentators for the the Spain Japan game for a good period of that second half after Germany took the lead back were saying and now Spain are out and I'm like Spain are not out like, Spain <laughs> have to get something now they're out and I'm like they're, they're not out <laughs> I don't understand. And then I was wondering where they're getting the information. Do the Spain players know they're not out? So it was just, it was a hell of a lot of fun and super, super drunk. But there was a pretty fun group F a uh, couple of games played prior to that today. We'll Absolutely. shift gears to that now. Mm-hmm. I, I, you have to hand it to Morocco. It's, it's sort of funny how narrative changes in tournament because after Canada looked really good against Belgium, but lost, there was this, Real swell of support for Canada, belief in Canada. Canada's really good. They didn't deserve that. Well, as it winds up, Belgium go out. There's a question about, you know, just how good they are. And Canada subsequently have gone on to really not make a great account of themselves, largely because I think they've come across as very naive in the way they've approached games and especially the way they've defended. Um, Their goalkeepers are a problem. I think that's pretty safe to say. Um, and and just the way they defended. So let's start with the Canada game. Firstly, just that like, have you come full circle on the Canada narrative? Of, oh, they're great. They were so good. They've been one of the joys of the tournament against Belgium when they lost valiantly to 4-1 loss to Croatia, 2-1 loss to Morocco. And now like, they're going to be looking at this as, I mean, look, it's wonderful. They even got to the World Cup. It's a huge step for them as a nation, a footballing nation. They have a, lo- a couple of good players they can build around, but I think they'll be a little disappointed, especially at how they defended the last couple of games. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they did capture a lot of hearts, you know, it might, mine included. I really enjoyed how, how they played, Yeah, but you can't defend like this at a world cup. I mean, it's, it's interesting because I, I, I can't say I've watched much of Canada, especially during CONCACAF qualifying, but they conceded seven goals in 14 games. And it felt like that strong defensive record gave them a platform to showcase their attacking talent. And it seems like they've just switched things up completely heading into the World Cup. And I'm not sure if that was a a decision that was communicated or maybe a pointed decision from the manager. You know, and in, a, in a lot of ways, I admire it. I admire teams that stick to their principles and their ideals and, you know, but 
you know, there were times in that first half today where you could have built a resort in the in the spaces between their defence and midfield. You know, I, I won't give Qatar any more ideas. Um, but I just, I just think ultimately for me, they made a good impression on the tournament. They were, they were really good value, a lot of exciting young players. And I think this was maybe one World Cup too early. I think they'll have eyes on the next one on home soil when their players will be, instead of being 21, 22, 23, they'll be, you know, 26, 25, 27, you know, they'll be a bit, a, a lot more experienced. Counting is hard. Just keep going. It's fine. Counting is hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, but it, it's very easy to forget that they had Morocco sweating in this game towards the end. They could have easily equalized. Oh, yeah. um, they had, you know, Hutchinson had a header that just, you know, uh, stayed on the line. It, really good header. And, to, after they scored, well, it was an own goal, but after they scored, Canada really kind of fixed up and they brought on an extra midfielder at halftime and Morocco was struggling. Genuinely, they couldn't keep the ball anymore. Canada were pressing them into corners. Defensively, they they were shaky. I mean, the goalkeeper came out and fumbled one and Davies nearly got in. So they, they did manage to wrestle back some control, which again, they deserve credit for, but ultimately their, their downfall um, was a was a defensive one, and unfortunately, it was just um, too too big a, a flaw to to sweep under the carpet. Yeah, and I mean the goalkeeping like for the El Nesri was it the El Nesri goal, the second goal? I mean, yeah, for both. So I mean, for ZH's one as well. He just gave it straight to ZH. So yeah, well, yeah. Um, so we get that he gives it straight to ZH, but he can't. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that there are two different sides of being bad, right? One is the distribution, and he gets caught. In fairness to ZH. That that's a lovely finish, right from distance. Absolutely, I mean, that's yeah, not yeah. A, that's not a tap in. And then for the El Nesri goal, like he just leaves so much of the near post, and he can't get mm. down to it. It's just you can't can't do that. Um, well, so the interesting thing is then how the Croatia Belgium game really just became about the winner goes through and the loser goes out, or the drawer goes out. And Belgium, I. I have to say, I I don't know how you describe the cameo that we got from Romelu Lukaku. I I have said a lot of complimentary things about Lukaku. I wanted Lukaku at Arsenal once upon a time. I I really rated him. I thought he was nearly unstoppable. I was worried when he went to Chelsea. Uh, Pablo Marie will still go to bed seeing nightmares of him from that performance. Was the season before last? Or amazingly, was it mm-hmm. last season? Just last season? It was. Yeah, just it was. Last season. It, yeah, yeah, just last, last season, season. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But like this was performance art. It was literally there's no other way to describe it. The the one that goes off his chest. I mean, <laughs> that's terrible. I, that one so, is unforgivable. So, so bad. <laughs> and the problem is, I want to analyze this game, Phil. I really do. The only thing I can think about as I start to think back on this game is the performance of one Romelu Lukaku. Yeah, four big chances missed in 45 minutes. Uh, more than any other player in the tournament, you know, <laughs> and it was yeah. the first one hitting the post, you know, there's a defender scrambling back for me. He should absolutely score there, but he hits the post and it hits the inside of the post actually and goes out. Look, it happens. The next one heads over with the keeper, not even in the goal. I think the ball would have been called out uh, in fairness and maybe luckily for him, but to miss there under no pressure, bad next one not getting your legs sorted in time he was in front of the goal all you have to do is just direct the ball towards the goal and it's in you know the keeper would never have any time to react there and he skews it wide the fourth one i mean it is terrible the defenders out of the game goalkeeper out of the game he's in space in the six yard box and he chests the ball back towards his own goal i mean you wouldn't even do that if you tried um, this was there were some astonishing goal mouth scrambles in this game, you know, and just player this, player limbs just flailing around, you know, and that it just took my mind straight back to Olivier Giroud against Monaco in the Champions League. Why do you have to do that to me? Why? Why we were having a perfectly nice World Cup daily? Um, I'm sorry, <laughs> that's that's that where my mind went, and and it stayed there for for a good hour after the game. Um, I mean, Croatia as well. They they should have been out of sight in this game. Belgium were offering nothing and Croatia were getting in time and time again and their final ball. Disastrous. Perisic, 
terrible. Borna Sosa, awful. Just like they got in every time down the flanks and the service was awful. And somehow Belgium came out of that game um, with, with a ridiculous level of XG and chance creation. You know, Croatia got, after full time, 0.81 XG. And Lukaku had 1.98 XG by himself. <laughs> <laughs> and so, can, but can I say one? Th- can I bring this down from a humorous tone for a minute and and get uh, righteous indignation for a second? Shame on Belgium, because I actually I have a lot of time for the way they played this second half in particular, and the way they went for this. Like, I'm sorry that 30 minutes of trying is not enough to get you through the knockout rounds, Belgium. But mm-hmm. like. I don't I don't get it. I don't get what this team was all about at this World Cup because while we can laugh about the missed chances for Lukaku, if you're creating that much opportunity, you're doing something right. But they try Belgium t- deciding to show up at the World Cup at about 60 minutes of their third game is just unforgivable and it really did feel like that's what they did. Like they sh- they showed up and they looked pretty intimidating and they nearly got a result that would have put them through. But they left it just way, 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 way unforgivably way too late. Yeah, I think so. And and for me, it was what we we mentioned a couple of times already. It's it was maybe a realization that the the team and the manager were in their last chance saloon, and ultimately there was not enough conviction from either party. Uh, Roberto Martinez, for me, you know, he retired what half an hour uh, retired um, resigned half an hour after full time. You know that just proves to me that he was already with one one foot in the exit door and this was an old team who obviously will have been competitive and wanted to go through but I I just didn't see enough from them throughout I mean even when they're in in losing positions or under the cosh I never saw anything to show me that they would turn it around um, and I'm, that's a very kind of blanket statement with with not much evidence backing it up. But it was just how I felt how, how I felt them play, um, and it's a shame. But the next Belgium, even at the Euros, is going to be very different, you know. And I think they needed this to say, look, we close on on one generation, a really exciting one that ultimately under underperformed, and it's time to look to the to the future now. So I think in one way. It's a disappointment for them, but in another sense, they they probably need it, like Germany did before. You know, das reboot. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it it's time. It's just like the way they got there is hilarious because again, they just needed one goal in this game. <laughs> the way they wound up not getting it is is just astonishing. Bad. Like I, bad, it, bad. It, it really, really bad. And like I. I guess I, it is sort of, and I, I'm not saying Lukaku should be the best striker in the world, but the way he looked in Italy before Chelsea signed him, and the way he looked in, was it the Euros? The previous year? Just yeah, indomitable. Yeah, yeah. A, a, mm-hmm. An absolute force of nature. And we even saw this when he when he played, was it for, for Wigan in the in the Premier League? Like a, West a guy Brom. who... West uh, Brom. West, West, was it West Brom? Who could... Mm-hmm. Didn't he play for Roberto Martinez at one point? somewhere Everton yeah Everton that's what I'm thinking sorry mm-hmm. Wigan um thank you um and and Everton fans were they listening to this be like you thought we were Wigan yes I thought you were Wigan and and you <laughs> well, may go Roberto down. Martinez so did manage Wigan that's he did why. manage Wigan that's yeah. why I had the yeah, confusion yeah. but like uh you know a player you could put out on the wing and he and he used to torment us out on the wing for Everton I remember like he had a lot in his game he, he was not just a a big you know big man who was powerful he was skillful and like what has happened? It just, it's fallen apart so quickly. Very, very strange to see how that happens. And maybe he's just taking his foot off the gas as a professional, right? In terms of taking care of his body and being an elite athlete. And I mean, don't forget he, he broke through when he was 17. I mean, he's, he's already been playing a long time at the highest level. Maybe he's just suffering from a Rooney Fabregas kind of too much, Mm. too young um, phenomenon. I'm not sure, but look, He's, I'm sure he's going to be one of the top scorers in Italy this year. I've got no doubts about that. But there's just a, a nervousness and a lack of conviction to his finishing that is very strange. Um, and I know he can kind of float between the two extremes, but this was a really, really bad performance. And you could you could feel the rust coming off him because um, he hasn't played a lot of football this season. So look, it's it's a big blow, a big blow for him. But 
he'll be back in in Milan soon and and banging in the goals. I'm sure. In terms of the teams going through here, um, thoughts on how far they can go. I mean, Croatia gets a tough matchup against Spain that should be a fun watch. Uh, Morocco get um, other uh, way Japan. around. Uh, pardon me. Yes, other- <laughs> Spain, Spain get Morocco. It will mm-hmm. Spain will be heavy favorites there, obviously. Um, Croatia get Japan, which which mm-hmm. should be a fun watch. So, um, any thoughts on how far either of these teams can go? I, I th- my guess, and this is just a guess, is that Croatia will be slight favorites over Japan and that Spain will be heavy favorites over Morocco. I would say so, but I think just touching back on Morocco, I think they deserve some flowers as well because unbeaten, unbeaten in the group stage. Mm-hmm. And I think they were, they were really fun at times. You know, they were heading into the World Cup in turmoil, but they... They sacked their their coach, uh, Hali Hodzic, and they brought in a young managerial prospect, um, Walid Regrawi. I've probably butchered that name, but Mm, he was kind of, yeah, the young managerial prospect in Morocco. And he's completely changed the whole feeling around the national team. He's broken down the hierarchy. You know, he's mended relationships with Ziyech, with Hakimi. And I just think they're you know, there's a lot of togetherness there. You know, they play with a high intensity, but also some flair, which is nice to see. And, you know, in, in particular, Sofia and Amrabat in midfield again was was really, really good. And I think along with uh, Laiduni for Tunisia, he's probably impressed me the most um, in midfield. So I, I'm really excited to see them against Spain. And don't forget, there's a little bit of of a rivalry there because they're neighbours. Essentially, they are neighbours. So maybe there's a, there's a point to prove there from Morocco. They have a huge support um, in Qatar. I mean, today the stadium was basically like Morocco playing a whole, a home game, mm. you know? So look, uh, Spain will be favorites. And I do think tonight was a, a slight blip, but I see enough quality in that team. You know, we mentioned Ziyech, Hakimi, Masraoui, you know, um, there's a lot of talent. There's a lot of talent there. So like Japan, you can't write them off. Although Spain naturally go into that, as favorites and I'll be very surprised as I said if they if they play like that again. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um all right, well let's let's look ahead to tomorrow quickly. And the question on everybody's lips, will the Arsenal players start for Brazil? It looks like it. it looks like it looks like uh both Gabby's Gabby's will be there. So You really think Martinelli will start? You think so? I mean, th- I've heard rumors of- but I'm I'm still skeptical. A lot of the journalists close to Chite, close to the Brazilian national team have been have been putting him in their lineup. So it's very weird. The Brazil ones seem to get leaked very early, um, even even for big games and and things like that. So I'd be inclined to to go with them. And apparently Martinelli's been making a big, big impact in training. You know, every day um I'm scanning, you know, Globo, uh, UOL, and it's all saying the same stuff. So I think he's deserved his opportunity. I think they think highly of him. He's a quite a unique player in terms of his work rate and ability to finish. And I think his partnership with Gabriel Jesus at club level will maybe have influenced Chite's thinking as well. So look, they they go into this game stress-free. They're through no pressure they can go there and enjoy themselves why not try why not try a couple of new guys so that's um that's my thinking and i'm and i'm looking forward to it i th- i really hope i get to see them from the start impacting the game yeah yeah i i obviously hope i see we see that too and i th- i think it'd be a beautiful thing and i'm sure if he does get to start and i think jesus will start i think they'll both shine one weird thing about this world cup on social media have you dipped a toe into the absolute seething hatred of Gabriel Jesus among some of the Brazil supporters? I have. Uh, and not just Brazil supporters. It feels like every Premier League uh, club are just so keen to bring up his record now. It's it's strange. You know, Casemiro scored the other day after Gabriel Jesus came on and it was like, how are they letting, how is he letting a defensive midfielder score? And it was just like, what? You know, it's just like, Bizarre, really well, bizarre. There, there, and I'm going to get it wrong, but there's some player who's real popular in Brazil. I'm not going to remember his name, and he plays for one of the big Brazil clubs. And they, all the Brazilians wanted him to go. And the the presumption is that Jesus. Oh, Ga- Gabriel Barbosa, maybe. Uh, uh, Gabigol, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, Gabriel yeah, Barbosa, yeah, yeah. And, for Flamengo, and, mm-hmm. right. And so everybody wanted Gabigol to go, and he didn't. And Jesus got the the 
spot in the squad, I guess, that presumptively. It was actually Martinelli that got, that got it. It was Martinelli. And I've seen yeah, the hate yeah. for Martinelli too, but Martin, you know, I, I think Jesus has more of a track record with the mm-hmm. fans in, in that regard. And so, but it is just really ugly. Like the, the, and I get it. It's a very specific group of fans who have a very specific preference for a player they like. And like, we'd be doing the same thing. Um, we are doing the same thing to some extent with some of our players that weren't picked or don't start for, you know, for England, for example, right? Ben White should be playing over. So I, I get it. Uh, he's not there. And you guys, you and Tim spoke about that yesterday. So we don't have to go into that anymore. And we hope Ben White's doing well, whatever the case is, whatever he's dealing with. Um, thoughts are with him and that he'll be good to go here pretty soon. But but so, I, yeah, I just thought that was interesting. And it would be a beautiful thing if Gabby's both got on, both played well, both contributed to a big Brazil win and, and got some of that sort of um, just that chip off their shoulder, that 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 seething resentment. And again, it'll probably never go away completely because that's the tribalism of football. And people are always going to think, well, if my player was there, he'd be doing better. But I certainly wish that for them. In terms of the game itself, probably not much to it. I guess we could see something similar to like what we saw with France, where it's a very, very heavily rotated side and you get a disjointed performance. But that group, um, even if Brazil were to lose it's still pretty unlikely that they could be caught by Switzerland. Um, however, it would then put Cameroon in position to possibly go through if Serbia can get something against um, can get something against Switzerland. So how do you see that group playing out? Do you think that the two at the top, Switzerland and Brazil, will go through? Or could Serbia, Switzerland wind up being a play-in game of sorts? I mean, I'm going to be watching Brazil, but I'm going to have Serbia, Switzerland on as well because that is... Well, that is going to be a game and a half I think that is going to be a derby you know atmosphere challenges flying in there's a lot of history between those two Um, oh boy and and didn't we see didn't we see a little preview of that was it Mitrovic and Shaka who who was it he got into a tangle with in the Premier League at the end of a game oh no Kovacic right oh Mateo Kovacic yeah was it Kovacic against Chelsea Uh, right mm -hmm, it was yeah yep mm -hmm. um so yeah there's a lot of history between these two teams and actually the players who are going to be playing as well they played at the world cup um last time out so eyes on that really Uh, i'm expecting big things there i mean tomorrow in general cameroon they're going to be up for it they still have every chance and they'll be buoyed by their um you know their their dramatic comeback against serbia but i don't think brazil are going to make too many changes i think they'll make three three or four max not you know 10 or nine or whatever it is that france did the other day um but you never know i, I should point out Brazil, by the way kovacic is croatian not, not he Serbia, is yeah. You know. yeah 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 um but um yeah so for me brazil brazil win that game and, and the game to watch in terms of the uh the jeopardy and the permutations will be in uh, switzerland and serbia Yep. Yeah. I, th- I think that's right. Now, it, it wouldn't surprise me if either of those teams wouldn't, assuming Brazil gets the job done, that Serbia Switzerland game does become a play in game. Um, could have something similar in Group H where Ghana Uruguay could wind up mm. shaking out that way. I mean, I guess it depends how much faith you have in Portugal. Um, but if Portugal are able to beat South Korea, and again, it depends how much faith you have, and we can come to that, then Uruguay and Ghana would become a playing game of sorts. And we're getting a lot of these games in the final group where one team can get through with a draw, the other team needs a win to get through. Um, and that's that's the case for both South Korea and Uruguay. Draw wouldn't be enough. If South Korea beats Portugal, they have a goal difference advantage on Uruguay. But if they fail to beat Portugal, it's all there for Uruguay if they can get past Ghana. How do you see that shaking out? I, I really have no idea, although I did enjoy a Ghanaian journalist describing Luis Suarez as the devil himself today. Um, what do you think of the way the- Suarez answered those questions? Because I, I have to admit, and, and please don't ever, thankfully this audio doesn't go out to anyone who can hear it. I kind of see Suarez's point. He's oh, of like, course. He's yeah, like, yeah. I didn't miss the penalty. You know what I mean? If you stick me on the on the goal line, and I'm an outfield player, and a ball's about to go in the net that's going to knock my nation out of the World Cup, I'm going to stick my hand out and stop it and say to the player with all the pressure on his shoulders, go go stick stick the penalty home. Yeah, you know, yeah completely. It's kind of the same thing with the Thierry Henry handball against Ireland uh, um, in the sense, it was Ireland, right? Yeah, yeah it was. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Where, where people are like, oh, Thierry Henry's a cheater. Like, yeah, but you know what? The referee has a whistle in his mouth. Like, the referee blew that, not Henry. What's he supposed to do? Stop playing, guys, 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 I handled it. 
And that's kind of how I feel about the Suarez thing. Like, referees are on the pitch to get those calls right. And in the case of the, the Ghana-Uruguay situation, Suarez did the thing you'd expect him to do, and the and John didn't score the penalty. <laughs> yeah, and, and he got punished for it, you know? Um, he t- he decided in that split second to take the gamble, and it was one that paid off. I've, I've long held that that belief, you know? I think, obviously, the, the, the sore point for for Ghana is that it was going to be a goal. You know, without the intervention of his hand, it was going to be a goal. Right. But ultimately, you know, you have a wonderful chance to to rectify that from the spot. John skies it. And and that's just how it is sometimes. But I thought it was quite funny how, you know, how football <laughs> keeps, keeps us, you know, holding things, you know, we don't forget football fans don't forget. And I think tomorrow he'll be on the end of a couple of tasty challenges if, if he actually gets on the pitch. So, and, and I'm um, going to get endless hate here because in, in within a span of like three minutes, I've sided with Luis Suarez, which doing that on anything makes me feel dirty. <laughs> and I've, exonerated Thierry Henry for what's considered like one of the footballing crimes of the millennium uh, against Ireland. Since we're on it, I'll just ask you about the Henry one. Cause this one has been <laughs> sticking, sticking stuck in my head for, for years and years and years and years. Thierry Henry cheated. He used his hand. Maradona cheated with the hand of God, right? Mm-hmm. If the referee blows and says handball, he puts the ball down. They play on from there. It's a yellow card maybe or whatever. And the game goes on. Like, People handle the ball all the time. They don't stop playing. That'd be ridiculous. You play on, right? You try to make yourself bigger sometimes. You're trying to trap a ball and you stick your arm in a little. And most of the time the ref blows up and we never think about it again. I've always looked at the Henri one as like, should he have stopped and be like, no, no, ref, I I handled it. I got I got to stop playing. Like, I just can't envision what anybody's expecting. I've always seen that as a failure of refereeing, not of the player, but maybe it's just because Thierry Henry is my my lord and savior. But it's all—it's also just gamesmanship, you know. What's the difference between um, Rooney diving to get that penalty at Old Trafford to to stop our unbeaten run? You know, everyone. I everyone think there is a slight difference. You know what I think it is? I think when the ball's coming to you and you can't get it with a part of your body that's legal to play the ball with, it's natural. It's like human nature to like try to get to it, and sometimes that means you like put your arm down or put your arm out. Whereas like diving is a decision to con the ref. Like, you're making a decision like, I'm going to try to make the ref make the wrong call. Whereas I don't I don't think of handball the same. I think the handball is more instinct where I think of diving is more like... Mm, I'm not con, sure. I con, think... No? I think I'm the trying, Henri one was, was incredibly blatant. <laughs> trying to thread and, the needle. <laughs> you know, but, but like Suarez, like Rooney, like, you know, handballs and dives, you gamble on the referee missing it, you know? Yeah, and that's yeah. what Henri did. That's what Suarez did. Suarez was punished. You know, um, Henri wasn't. You know, how many times have we seen other things like that? Um, and for me, it's, it just falls under the bracket of gamesmanship. Obviously, you don't want to see it. Um, and if it goes against your team, your blood's boiling. But it happens, and and ultimately, there there is a responsibility on the referee to to kind of make that decision. I know there's no love for VAR and all that nonsense. Is this the best refereed World Cup in history so far? <sighs> I don't know, I can't to be think honest. Of, I can't think of a, holy shit, we're going to be talking about how bad that call is for years. Kind of, And I feel like every World Cup has a couple of those per round. And I don't think we've had an egregious miscarriage of justice that's cost a team in a way that's decided the tournament. You know what I mean? Like maybe... I mean, there were, there were a couple of ridiculous VAR decisions. I mean, today's one in Croatia, Belgium, the penalty... And the subsequent mess that ensued after that. I mean, was it offside? Was it someone interfering with play when they shouldn't have been? It was just bizarre. They called it you offside, know. which they then showed the 3D rendering. And and it wasn't. There, there, there's no possible construction. That, but, but the thing I never understood, can you explain this to me? I'm glad you brought this up. Why wouldn't you just call it not enough contact to be a penalty? Yeah. I like, mean, it was, the penalty was a joke. It's super, yeah, super yeah, yeah. soft. So mm-hmm. like, then they're like, oh no, we're ruling it out for offside. Where I'm like... I don't know that it's offside, but I know it's probably not a penalty. And the irony is it's a very, very soft penalty given by, of all people, the blood and thunder Premier League referee. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Kramerich has been touched on the boot by Carrasco and he goes down like he's lost a toe. Um, But yeah, I mean, they give the penalty, then the check happens. And then first of all, it's a... They're looking at the offside for someone who is clearly offside. And then apparently he's interfering with play 
it's it's just a mess. I mean, that that for me was a terrible one. You know, the Lataro Martinez one against Saudi Arabia, another terrible offside call. The penalty that Ronaldo got, soft. The penalty that Messi got yesterday, soft. You know, uh, soft verging on ridiculous yesterday's one. So yeah, look, I think there's yeah. been been some big calls but in certain games I have liked the spirit of of some referees to to play like we said Spain and Germany that game was was excellently refereed I thought um you know even USA Iran I thought that game was a was a game refereed in really good spirit so look it's normal there's going to be ups and downs but I, I still think there's been a couple of decisions that have left me um quite confused to be honest all right well I'm left frequently confused by a lot of things, and I think being confused is where we should leave it, given that this has been a confusing, confounding, and ultimately intoxicating, and maybe potentially inebriated World Cup, except for the people in the stadium. So, um, yeah, a, a lovely, fun, exciting day of World Cup football. It's funny, I did a, a Newcastle podcast today, and he was asking me questions about the Arsenal season, and I was like, wow, I don't remember that. No, I don't know that. He's like, what's your favorite match? I'm like can't think of any like it's just crazy we won at wolves 27 years ago yeah exactly it's it feels like a lifetime ago and hopefully the players will be able to connect to it when it all kicks off again in astonishingly 26 days so we'll uh we'll hope they're ready for that phil meet you for more of this nonsense tomorrow absolutely i'm already looking forward to the the tidy japanese dressing room pictures can't wait for that and i also can't wait for (laughs) deciding which hat trick from the Gabbies was the better hat. So we'll, we'll look forward to that. All right. Uh, we'll leave it there. Phil's on Twitter at underscore Phil Costa. Thank you, Phil Costa. Thank you. My name is Alex Pinnick, the Black Man's Twitter. Yank Gunner, we love you, and we'll talk to you after our, your country town, other country, no.